I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter number 10, the book of John chapter number 10, beginning of the New Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John chapter number 10. I'll go ahead and while you're turning, give you kind of my introduction to this message. Uh, Yesterday in the funeral, I preached a message on things you need to know about death. And um, uh, after the message, actually, while we were praying. Yes, brother. Well, why? How's that? That better? Okay. Does anybody need me to repeat everything I've already said? You do? Okay, welcome to the service. If you're a first time visit, oh, alright. I'll back up quite so far. So, I preached a message yesterday on things you need to know about death. Uh, last night as I was praying, the Holy Spirit, I feel like it was the Holy Spirit, just kinda, kinda whispered in my ear and said, hey, why don't you preach tomorrow about things people need to know about life? And so I thought, well, okay, that's interesting, and, um, so I just started thinking about it, started studying it, and boom, the Lord just kind of put all this together. So John chapter number 10 and verse number 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. All right, that's the devil right there, folks. He's trying to destroy. He's trying to steal. He's trying to kill. But Jesus said in the second part of the verse, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. No doubt this text has been preached on many, many times, but I like the way that the Lord said it, that He came so that we could have life and that we could have it more abundantly. And so obviously we're in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. I thought about this when I started searching uh, in my um, my Bible program. I found that that word life showed up in 408 verses. So I, I hope you don't have anything in the crock pot. No, just kidding. I, I narrowed the 408 verses down to oh, approximately 40 verses. And then I started trying to kind of condense it to the things that I really felt like that the things that everyone needs to know about life. And uh, I got it narrowed down to 10 things. And then I thought, wow, how appropriate is that? John 10.10. And I'm going to talk to you about 10 things you need to know about life. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today. We pray that these 10 truths would find a place in our heart. We pray that they would help us. We pray that if anyone is here and doesn't have the abundant life that you have spoken about, we pray that the word of God might touch their heart. We pray for boldness, wisdom, and compassion. Uh, Lord, just lead us and guide us, and may everything that's said and done be uh, to your glory and honor. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get right into number one. Number one, quality of life depends more on what we say than what we have. Uh, what we say, the words of our mouth are very, very powerful. First Peter 3.10 For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So two different kinds of things that can come out of our mouth that are going to wreck the quality of our life. First of all, speaking evil. 
Uh, have you ever had that time where you just feel like, I just got to vent. I've just got to give them a piece of my mind. I've just got, I mean, you feel like that there's a fire burning inside of you and you just have to say something. That's the time to not say anything. That's the time to not to. Absolutely. When you feel like you can't help it, then you have perhaps lost control of what needs to be said. Whenever you feel like that, then step back. Keep your, you know what? If you will keep your lips together, then you'll be okay. Because you might go, <laughs> but you didn't say it. Because words are a lot like bullets. Once they leave the end of the barrel, you cannot call them back. And so whenever you feel like you have to say something, that's the time to not to. And then leap, lips that leaps. <laughs> like to talk to you about your leaps. <laughs> I speak Spanish now. <laughs> your, your lips, that they speak no guile. You know what guile is, don't you? Guile is kind of saying one thing, but you're really meaning something else. Boy, there's a lot of guile in society today. Uh, marketing and sales pitches and politicians. Oh my goodness. You talk about guile. You know, you know how you know if a politician's lying? You knew that already. Man, I thought, thought I had something so profound to tell you this morning. Speaking guile. You know that Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. That means, and he said, whatsoever is more of this is, is just evil. And so, you know, as, as God's people, we should say what we mean and mean what we say. That doesn't mean that we should say everything that we want to say. You know, for instance, does this dress make me look fat? Don't say anything. It's just, just, <laughs> just not sure. I, I <laughs> Every now and then, I'll ask my wife something about my sermon, you know, how did that go over? And she'll go, uh, 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 you don't have to say anything. <laughs> She's trying to be nice, and it's like, that's okay, I get the point. You know, I was probably worrying about it, and that's the reason that I asked to begin with. But um, seriously, when we say things, we shouldn't have guile, we shouldn't be manipulating. Uh, we should say what we mean and mean what we say. And the reason is because the words that come out of our mouth obviously have great impact on the quality of our life. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What can be more powerful than death and life? That's ultimately the most important things that we could even talk about. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. My wife bought some apples the other day. I'm not a fruit eater. I am by nature a cookie eater. When I want a snack, I, man, I can grab, I can eat cookies, just, you know, not the whole bag at one time, but boy, I can eat one here and one there, and the bag really diminishes fairly quickly. I like cookies, but obviously they are not good for my midsection. And so sometimes it's like, you know what, i got to back off of the cookies, and when I'm hungry, 
I need to eat something that's not going to make me fatter. And so sometimes I'll eat an apple. I'm not a fruit eater. I know some of these kids, I, I've joked with some of these kids, you know, well, it's not like candy, it's like broccoli. And some of these kids are like, well, I don't like broccoli as well as candy. And I think, what are you, a freak? What kid likes fruit or broccoli better than Snickers bars? What kind of kid? See right there. What kind of kids are you raising? <laughs> but uh, she bought some apples the other day and she sliced them up and it's like, wow, I really enjoyed that, that was a good apple. I enjoyed it because it was a very sweet apple. But you know, uh, you know what a big kick is now? People are taking elderberry juice. How many of you use elderberry juice? What about that? Wow, I thought my wife was trying to poison me at first. You know, she, she bought those. You can buy those and they're, they're frozen or something. And she, to save money, because the stuff's kind of spendy, she took these elderberries. They look like, oh man, they look pretty delicious. But if you eat them like that, they're poisonous, I hear. So you have to boil them and you have to cook them. And I'm telling you, when you're cooking elderberries, your house smells like a wet dog. And so I'm thinking, you want me to take this stuff? And so, you know, I took a tablespoon of it and, you know, praise the Lord, it didn't taste like a wet dog. Not that I've tasted wet dogs. But it wasn't that bad. But you know what? Have you, you know, have you ever, have you ever bitten into a piece of fruit and it was rotten on the inside, but it looked okay on the outside? You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, give you some rerun jokes, but yes, I am. You do know what's worse than biting in an apple and finding a worm. A half a worm. You know what? I might as well go home. You know everything I'm going to say. But, uh, you know, worms are one thing. <laughs> Not pleasant. But rotten fruit, rotten fruit can smell really, really bad. The words that we say. The Bible says that they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What we say is going to affect the quality of our life. If you say rotten words, you're going to be eating rotten fruit. If you say good, wholesome, righteous, guileless words, then you're going to eat the sweetness of that fruit in your life. By the way, by the way, the mouth is the gateway of the heart. What is in our heart is what comes out of our mouth demonstrates what we have allowed into our heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, protect it, guard it, because out of it are the issues of life. If you want to have a good life, then you need to protect your heart so that you can protect your tongue. They say in the IT world, I, I got brother, brother Moody's, brother Smoker, well he's, I don't know where he is, he's down here somewhere. All these IT guys, by the way, they really don't know what they're talking about. I was in Brother Glenn's office. They're all talking about computers, and I'm sitting there listening to them. And I go, you guys are just making up words. 
They didn't really know. They just were making up words. But anyhow, as the IT guy says, garbage in, garbage out. And it's the same way with our life. It's the same way with our tongue. When we allow garbage into our heart, then garbage is what's going to come out of our mouth. Number two, number two, the second thing you need to know about life, wisdom is far more beneficial than education. Uh, we live in a generation that overvalues education. It's the truth. I'm not against education. I think education can be a great tool in life. But if you think that education is going to increase the quality of your life in and of itself, I got some really, really bad news for you. That ain't true. How many young people have the, the, the peer pressure and the cultural pressure that after you graduate high school as an 18-year-old that you need to go off to college and get an education and then you're going to make six-figure income? And they go and they get a degree, and how many, by statistics, actually use that degree in their occupation? It's a very, very small percentage. And facts don't lie. Now, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm not saying that it's not beneficial. Not at all. But I am saying this, if you want to have a good life, we need to value wisdom far more than we value education. How many young people go and they take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans to get an education thinking they have to have it. And so they finish four years of, of college. They're still just 22, 23 years old. And they go and they get a job that quite honestly, they probably could have gotten a job paying the same amount without the education. And the reality of it is, if they would have took that two, three, four hundred thousand dollars that they invested in their education, and started a business of their own, then they'd be making good money and they wouldn't have racked up all of the student loan debts. By the way, if you think that student loan debts are a good thing, you ought to just Google and hear what Dave Ramsey has to say. If you can handle it. Because he'll tell you what He'll tell you the way that it really is. He doesn't care about your feelings. We were, we were, we were talking about that, uh, here not too long ago and I listened to, to what he had to say and I'm like, wow, man, nobody can say that I'm a rough preacher. <laughs> man, he, he was rough, but you ought to check into that. You ought to just take a look and have some wisdom and some common sense that you don't have to follow all of the lemmings off of the indebtedness cliff. And then spend the first 5, 10, 15 years of your married life trying to dig yourself out of the hole only to find out that all of that financial pressure ended up breaking your marriage and you got nothing. That's foolish. Now once again, and this is being recorded, so if you accuse me of saying it, I will pull out this CD and say, no, I didn't say that. Education can have its value if in the right place. I'm just simply saying that it is not the necessity of life that our culture places upon it. 
you know, you're better off to just have some good sense and some good wisdom and you can go out and make some money off of that. I know what some people are thinking, preacher, you're saying that I could take that $200,000 and start a business, but what if I'm not competent enough to run a business? If you're not competent to run a business, then you're not competent enough to go to college. Everybody's got an answer for everything. Wisdom is more beneficial. Now, how do we get wisdom? Proverbs 3, verse number 2 is talking about the law of God. God's book is wisdom. And it says, for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. You want to get some wisdom? Well, you're going to get it out of the word of God. You're not going to get it from Dr. Phil. You're not going to get it from Oprah, who I know she's retired and people are going to, young people are going to go, Oh, preacher, you're so out of touch. I don't care who the latest greatest is. You get the point. Amen. The world is not going to give you the wisdom that you need, but this book right here will. Proverbs 8 verse 35, for whoso findeth me, who's the me? You read that. Proverbs 8 is talking about wisdom as a person. As a lady, if you will. Whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. How about that? You want to have a good life? What you need to know about life is that our life needs to be a pursuit of wisdom. Being able to take the instruction of God's Word and learn how to put it into practice in our everyday life. How we think, how we behave, what we do, our character, you name it, everything about us. If we will follow the principles of this book, we will be following wisdom. Our life won't be perfect, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a whole lot better than those who reject the wisdom of God's book. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 19, verse 23 says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. It's going to have a tendency, if you will. Nothing automatic in this life. There's nothing that you that's a slam dunk. But you know what? There's a gravitational force in this world that's either pulling us in the right direction or is trying to tug us in the wrong direction. When we fear God and when we follow His Word, then there's kind of that magnetic pull that even when we're trying to go astray, I I remember many times in my life where this the wickedness in my heart wanted to do something that wasn't good and wasn't right. And there that Holy Spirit was just pulling me back on path. Now, if you don't have doing right in your heart, then you're going to find yourself next to that gravitational pull, pull of the fool, pool of the fool, whatever. There's going to be something that's going to continually trying to tug you off the path of God. Wisdom is far more beneficial than education. The third thing that you need to know about life, sexual infidelity creates instability. It's true. Now, we are living in a sex-crazed society today. Possibly like, uh, I mean, it is about as perverse and rampant 
I realize in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, it was horrible and wicked and perverse. But we live in the day and age of instant marketing. I mean, the peddlers of the flesh and of sensuality are everywhere in every aspect of life. I like being in safe havens, don't you? That's why I believe that the house of God ought to be a safe haven, don't you? That's why I believe that God's people ought to dress and behave with propriety and with modesty. Do you think this dress makes me look sexy? Why would you want to look sexy to anybody except for your husband? Amen? Well, that's not good enough for me. Well, then you need to get right with God. That's just the bottom line. Sexual infidelity. Listen, it is God's will for one man to marry one woman and for anyone that there is the, I'm trying to be discreet, the demonstration of sexuality. That is only supposed to happen with someone that you are married to. You can get that, right? I hope I got that cookie down on the bottom shelf. Now listen to what the book of Proverbs says. For her house, speaking of the adulterous woman, the whore, if you will, her house inclineth unto death and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither Take they hold of the paths of life. You know what you got there? You've got instability. Now I'm not saying that if you have a past of sexual infidelity that you cannot get right with God. Listen, any sin that anyone has ever committed, you can repent and you can ask Christ to forgive you and or save you, whatever your spiritual condition is. And He will forgive all trespasses. Praise the Lord. But there is something about sexual infidelity that makes it more difficult to stay on the right path. I I guess I would say this. It's going to make... Our steps can follow the path of the Lord, but it's going to make us... It's going to make you wobbly for the rest of your life. Just a little bit wobbly. I, I, I get up in the morning um, fairly early. Uh, my wife's still in bed sleeping. I don't like to disturb her. I like to not wake her up. And so I'm getting my clothes on. And as I'm getting, usually, usually in the dark, uh, I get my cell phone because it's got a light there and I find my socks. And so uh, I don't have any really place to sit down. If you sit down, you kind of make noise. So. I'll take and I'll put on my socks like this. I'm finding as I get older, that's what, one of these days she's going to hear a crash and I'm going to wake her up. She's going, what happened? I'm just putting on my socks. <laughs> you, you just, you just kind of wobbly. Now, it hasn't been that many years ago where I could do that and keep my balance, but it gets harder and harder. Sexual infidelity will make our pathway wobbly. 
Uh, we went on a horseback ride up in Seven Devils, Idaho. My wife, um, not my wife, my son and I, and uh, some uh, cowboy guys in the church in Idaho. And this was a real, I mean, this was real mountain horses. This was a real pack train going up into the mountains where there's no roads. And we went on some paths that literally were about this wide. And you're up on a horse and you're looking down and it is straight off. Not a straight up and down cliff, but one of these that's about like that. And it's jagged rocks and shale. And you know that if you go off, you're in trouble. You know what? You don't want a wobbly horse on that trail, do you? Nuh-uh. And so in life, life is much like that. We go through times and periods in life. Sometimes it's just, you know, a nice stroll through the green belt. But there are paths in our life that we have to navigate that there's a cliff on one side with some jagged rocks. And let me tell you something, you don't want to be wobbledy when you go through that period of your life. And so do yourself a favor. Have sexual integrity. Because it's going to affect the quality of your life. Let me give a statement that I believe that can be proven from the Word of God. I believe that it can be proven from human experience. For every ounce, please listen to this, for every ounce of temporary pleasure that comes from adultery, fornication, pornography, romantic fantasy, a pound of misery is brought into our life. That's not a good exchange. That is not a good bargain. That is not a good value. I'm not denying that there isn't an ounce of pleasure in sexual sins. That's the reason that people gravitate towards them. Because there is a lust in the human heart. But listen, whatever pleasure that you derive from that, you are bringing multiple, many times over of misery into your life. It affects you. It affects your character. It, in, it affects your integrity. I almost said infects, but that's a good, that would be a good point. It infects our attitude, our spirit. You know, there are, there are people I've been around that I, I've never, I've never caught them online, but, but I've been around men that have this spirit of unhappiness that there's something in the back of my mind that just kind of goes, I wonder if they don't have a pornography problem. Because they just don't seem very happy. There's something about their spirit that is just not quite right. Some of you guys are probably thinking that about me. No. But there's a truth to it. You know, there's a, there's a side of it that you think that you can hide it, but it does affect you in ways that you can't even see. But others can sense and others see that and it's going to affect your marriage even if you never get caught. It's going to make you frustrated inside. It's going to make you feel guilty. It's going to make you try to overcome that. I, I, I've been around, this is the honest truth and this is no one here 
but I have been around Christian men in the past that they talk so spiritual, you would think that they were an apostle. I mean, they're, oh, they're just, I mean, men that, that, that I'd like to say, why, why can't I be as spiritual as them? And then you find out that they had a pornography addiction and they were just compensating for the guilt and they're trying to sound all spiritual because they're trying to smooth it all over and nobody even suspects anything. That's why the Lord put in the scripture, be sure your sin will find you out. I was trying to think, how how does that go? You're going to get caught. Just you wait and see. Why is everybody always picking on me? For some reason that came to my mind. Alright, number four. The fourth thing that you need to know about life is that strong homes make happy lives. Now there's two different passages of Scripture I want to give you. And when I talk about strong homes, I'm talking about strong Christian homes. First Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. Right after the Lord gives an admonishment to you ladies and says that you should submit to your husbands Yes, I said it. Feminists don't like that. God doesn't care, neither do I. Wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, yeah, amen. And, and, and even talks about uh, Sarah calling Abraham <coughs> Lord. I know what you women are thinking. I'm calling my husband Lord. Small L, by the way. But then, to the men, he says in verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, it's really quite simple. We could talk about what that means. But what God is saying is that a Christian home requires some deliberate attention and behavior in order to bring that grace of life. A home can be a little bit of heaven on earth, or it can be a lot of hell on earth. And it has nothing to do with whether you found your soulmate or not. That's a bunch of Hollywood garbage. Alright? That is Hollywood garbage. Now, I'm not saying that everybody always marries the right person and that you've got personalities and temperaments. I'm just simply saying that the Scripture says that who you are married to, you need to do everything you can unselfishly to try to make your marriage work. And the way to make a marriage work is just simply work. You, you gotta, you gotta put the right things in. You've got to be unselfish. You've got to be focused. And the problem with many, many marriages today, why they are not happy and successful is just simple, pure old selfishness. We can blame in-laws. We can blame finances. We can blame health crisis. We can blame temperament and personality and everything else. But when, really, when it all comes down to it, it just comes down to selfishness. And 
you got two people, or at least one of two people, that's just trying to get their way, and that's all they care about, and they run roughshod over the way or the feelings of the other person, thinking that if I have to get my way in order to be happy. No, you don't. No, you don't. Who gets their way all the time? Oh, well, it's 50-50. Baloney. It's 100-100. You cannot control the 50 or the portion that your spouse puts into it. You give yourself 100% into your marriage, and then maybe your spouse will give 100%, and guess what? You can be heirs of the grace of life. Say, well, we've got, we, we have some difficult times in our marriage and in our home. Hey, who doesn't? That's why the Lord says husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Knowledge. Have you ever taken a test before? Have you ever taken a test and flunked it? How many have ever taken? Alright. What do you do when you flunk a test? What? <laughs> You quit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, y'all aren't always right, but you don't have my, my notes here. What do you do? You, 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 you go back and you study and you take it again. Maybe you'll be one point better. What, what was that funny? <laughs> Inside joke. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Learn. Grow. Yeah, make your mistakes, but learn from your mistakes. Don't listen to what Hollywood or the devil says and just uh, try to do everything you can to have a happy marriage so that you can have a happy life. And then Ephesians 6, 1-3, through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is... By the way, parents, that right there is your authority. God says that your children are supposed to obey you. He doesn't say parents manipulate your children to do what you want them to do. He says children obey your parents and the Lord. You need to work from that perspective. You don't have to, you don't have to try to manipulate. Oh, if you don't do that, you're going to get it. And the kid knows that you don't even mean it. You're lying to him. I told you. If you don't stop doing that, you're going to get a spanking ten minutes later. How many times I told you and you're just threatening and you're threatening and trying to manipulate their behavior. You're going to get a time out. You're going to get halftime. We're going to cancel the whole season. And you don't really mean business. You know, it's really quite simple. Your child disobeys you and you deal with the disobedience because you are the authority. And it's not about your children liking you. I promise you, if your children respect you, they will love you. I'm not talking about abusing them. I'm talking about being the authority figure in your home. Children, hey, boys and girls that are living in your parents' home, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 20 years old. If you're living in your, your parents' home, then you need to obey them. And then listen to what it says, honor thy father and mother. Uh, that's for those that are not living under 
parents. Parents are ones that are providing and protecting. Father and mother is for those of us that are out of our parents' home. They're still our father and mother, and the Bible says we should honor them. It doesn't say we should obey them. It says that we need to honor them, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Uh, I used to always think that what God meant by that, having the mother that God gave me as a parent, I knew that if I didn't obey her and honor her, she would kill me. So I thought, you know what, I better do what she says, or I'm not going to live very long. But that's not what God was saying. He wasn't talking about my mother. He was talking about in general that if you will do this thing, even though you have very imperfect parents, if you will honor them or obey them if you're still living at home, God says, I promise you, I will bless you. Have you ever gotten um, a a gift of a, a personal check from someone for birthday or Christmas or something? Uh, I mean, a, a personal check. I, I don't mean for $5. I mean a big one. What good would it do you if you took that check for $100 and framed it and put it on the wall? How often do we take the Word of God and we frame it and put it on the wall. Yeah, yeah, I believe that children ought to obey their parents. I believe we should honor our father and mother. We frame it and we put it on the wall and we talk about it and we look at it, but we don't deposit it. We don't cash it to get the blessings from it. God says do it and I'm going to show you, I'm going to bless you and that's a promise from God. That's a, that might be an exercise of faith. If your uh, parents aren't, uh, you know, aren't exactly the best parents in the world, but if you will do it by faith, trusting God, God will look down and He'll say, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you some happiness, some joy, some good things in your life. Number five. Number five, hard work never killed anyone. We need to know that in today's culture. Hard work, uh, I'm not talking about coal miners that the shaft caved in on them, okay? But the reality of it is, hard work doesn't kill us. Proverbs 10 verse 16 says, The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, but the fruit of the wicked to sin. If you're having a hard time having some happiness and fulfillment in your life, You know what some people would be better off if you're battling depression? There are some people that would do better with work than they would with medicine. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, so once again, please hear my disclaimer. I'm not saying that there aren't people that need medicine. not saying that at all. But I believe that there are some people that just getting out and sweating and working and staying, keeping your mind occupied and not thinking about your troubles might make you happy and you don't have to go through life kind of zoned out because of the side effects of medicine to keep you from feeling a certain way. 
Something to consider. Number six. Number six. The Lord is your best security system. You know, we live in a day and age where security systems for your home are a good thing. But, but I've thought about this and I, and I've, I've studied this. I've, I've looked at different systems. You've got, uh, you've got wireless systems where you've got sensors that if somebody opens a door, you've got sensors that if, that can actually detect if a, if glass breaks, you've got video sensors. Uh, we had, uh, we had some video cameras, uh, put in that, uh, we had it programmed so that it would let me know on my cell phone if somebody pulled into the driveway. Literally, I could be home, I could be away, and if somebody pulled into my driveway, I'd get a message. But the problem is, is the sensors were so sensitive that when the moths would fly around the camera at night, all night long, I'm thinking I've got somebody in my driveway. So we kind of, you know, changed that just a little bit. But video cameras, door sensors, uh, motion detectors, you name it, satellite surveillance. How would that be? I, I don't know if that's available. Maybe for somebody important. All kinds of options. But you know that there is nothing that can make us secure more than just simply God. David said in Psalm 27.1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You want to have security in your life? Then base your security not on a system, not on not on a firearm. I'm all for firearms. I'm all for security systems. But if you'll recall, the Scripture says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. When all said and done, we can only do so much. If God is not your security, then you're going to be struggling with the spirit of fear at most times. Number seven, possessions and things never bring fulfillment. I'm going to go quickly with these next few. Luke 12:15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Hey, buying one more thing or getting that pay raise or those things, if you're looking for those things to find fulfillment in life, they're just going to leave you empty and you're just going to want more and more and more because you're never going to be satisfied. Be content with the things that you have. If the Lord blesses you with more, then praise Him and thank Him for it. But don't make that the goal of your life because you'll just spend your whole life seeking for contentment and fulfillment and you'll never ever find it. Number eight, sin provides pleasure, but righteousness produces happiness. Proverbs 12.28, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. And Romans 8.6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Number nine, to get a life. You ever had somebody say, just get a life. To get a life, we must first lose our life. That doesn't make sense to our human mind, but it's one of those things that's kind of hard to understand. In order to get, we have to give. In order to go up, 
we have to go down. And so to get a life, we must first lose our life. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now the Apostle Paul gave us just a little, he spoke about this concept a little differently, but it's the same principle. In Colossians 3, verse 3 through 4, he said, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Hey, our life is not in things. Our life, we need to be willing to lose it. How many things do we hang on to? And just we're, we we don't want to turn loose of we we want control we want our life to be a certain way and we're miserable we're unhappy if we would just turn loose and give it to God God would take and give us the real life that we're searching for but we've got to be willing to lose our life first number ten you'll never learn to live until you prepare to die. James said, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. That's the way that it is. Time seems to be moving so fast. My, my daughter Anna likes to drink hot tea, and so she'll get that, that water tea kettle thing going on the stove. And when that water is ready, to pour into the tea, you can hear it whistle, it's boiling inside, but you see that vapor, that steam coming out. And it comes up and you can see it, but it doesn't take very many inches as it gets away from the spout until it just dissipates. It's just gone. That's our life, folks. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 19, Paul said, if in this life only... We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. God's got something so much better for us. We've got to prepare to die before we'll ever learn how to live. And then finally, in conclusion, one last thing that is red letters. Jesus said it. John 5, verse number 40, He said, And ye will not come to Me that ye might have life. You know, all of these things really are going to mean nothing if a person won't be willing to bring their life to Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking about religious people. He's talking about good people. He's talking about bad people. He's talking about all people. And how he must have said that, maybe with a tear running down his cheek, as he said, they won't come to me. Jesus is offering life. He's offering life more abundantly. He's offering forgiveness of our sins. He's offering a home in heaven. And we don't have to pay for it. We don't have to earn it. He did all of it for us on the cross of Calvary. He shed His precious blood. His atoning work on Calvary's cross is sufficient for our salvation. But how many people, they don't say no to Christ, they just say not yet. And then that time never comes. Or some people think, well, I know that Jesus can save me, but I think He needs my help. No, He doesn't. If you're thinking that you can help Jesus in your salvation process, then you'll never truly experience being born again. 
Jesus said, they will not come to me that they might have life. Will you come to Jesus that you may have life? You know, if you're saved here today, you can still wander so far from Jesus until your life is not fulfilling. It is not happy. Jesus says the same thing to the believer. You will not come to me that you might have life. Too many believers that are saved have decided that I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to live my life my way because they're afraid that Jesus is going to make their life miserable. Jesus doesn't want to make your life miserable. He wants to make your life more abundant. He wants to make your life filled with joy and peace and happiness. If you're not saved, you've got turmoil in your heart. You've got emptiness. You've got, you've got things that you just don't even really understand. But I've got such great news for you that if you'll just come to Jesus, it's not the words that you say in some magical prayer. In your heart, you've just got to simply turn loose of you and turn loose of the reins of your life and just simply come to Jesus as a sinner. And you know what? You may not understand everything about it, but He does. And He will take care of the rest if you'll just come to Jesus. Will you come to Jesus that you may have life? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank You for the life that You have given provided for us. I pray, Father, for every soul that's in this congregation today, for everyone that perhaps has listened over live stream. Lord, you know the condition of our hearts, and Lord, we've given ten things, ten things of many things that we need to know about life. Lord, I'm asking you that if there's anyone that has heard this message that is not saved, I pray that you'd help them to come to you that they might have life. I pray for every believer that has wandered off of the path of happiness and joy and fulfillment. I pray, Father, that the things that we've seen from the Word of God today would be put into practice in our life. We pray for Your blessings. Now have Your will and way in this invitation time. In Jesus' name, Amen.